1: Guys, welcome back to Construct Your Life. This is Austin Linney here, and we did not let the US government keep us from this podcast booking. Adam's like, you're a motherfucker.
2: I got Mr. Adam Whitney here. How are you doing, my brother? Awesome, man. Stoked to be on here.
1: I got it, man. I appreciate you. Excited to jump in here. Um, we've exchanged some brief messages, but I don't know much about you. And so what I like to do is let my guests kind of tell their story. Um, so I'll let you take it away and we'll get to going.
2: Yeah, man. Um, so I'm an active duty Marine. I've been serving for 16 years now, a little over 16 years and, um, got a, you know, had a crazy upbringing, which led me to service. Um, service really gave me some principles and values in life that really helped me to be successful in where I sit. And I started investing in real estate. I've been doing that for a little over two years. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an obsessive learner. I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father to two kids. And I'm enjoying every single bit of life, all of
1: it. I love it, my man. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. Uh, if I know my military, you got four more years left? Yeah, a little under
2: four years left. I'm going to move here in the summertime. And um, you know, at the end of that, I'll have an opportunity to retire.
1: And where are you based out of currently?
2: So I'm currently sitting in California, uh, 29 Palms. It's the high desert, uh, more days of sunshine here than anywhere else in the United States with temperatures up to 120 degrees.
1: <laughs> and you want to move there for good?
2: Oh, no, no, no. I'm moving from here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to Tampa. <laughs> okay. I'm hoping to go to Tampa.
1: Where's the, what are the options?
2: So that's the thing about the military. Options have... <laughs> are, are not something they really like to provide people. Um, you know, everything in the military is about service, and I, I I do love that about it. But you know, where you serve your country is is seldomly seldomly not an option for us. You get some say, but
1: you, well, you go here's where they the need deal. To. Here's the deal. You know, I don't drink anymore, but I cannot wait. To sit in a lawn chair with a 75 degree weather whipping off the ocean, chilling on your back porch in Tampa. Yeah, man. Can't wait. Because <laughs> we don't do that 120. I'm from Texas and we still don't do that. So, so when you say you had a crazy upbringing, uh, you mentioned to me that you might want to share some of that stuff. So if you want to, you do what you want to. Yeah, man, Um,
2: I haven't, I've got a little bit of this on my website, but I I haven't really detailed kind of this story, but I did, I've spent the last couple of years of reflecting on um, some, some of the stuff I've done, some of the accomplishments, some of the failures and, you know, we, as men were really terrible, in my opinion, at taking the moment to, to stop and look back and think about where you've been and where you're at. Because we're always looking at where we're going, mm-hmm. especially if you've got a family to provide for, you're always looking at how am I providing? Where are we going? What's, it, what's life going to look like? We rarely say what did life look like and what does life look like now? So that kind of just led me to think about some of the things i have been through, some of the things I've gotten an opportunity to experience, good and bad, and how that makes you who you are. Uh so for me, I grew up just outside of Detroit. Um I had, you know, my mother and father were divorced when I was young, probably two or three years old. I had a stepmom and my dad is who I lived with. I kind of bounced back and forth, had a really abusive father. Um guy guy worked hard and set the example and in, in work ethic and kind of missed on a lot of the other things as a father, uh, which I think has shaped a lot of how I parent today. Um, My mom was addicted to crack and all kinds of other drugs, and she died at 40 years old. Um, I was 17 in a high school class, and I got a phone call and said, hey, your mom's passed away. She's in her apartment. I just found her. I immediately drove to that apartment and saw her body just over, you know, she lives in a a one-bedroom, Section 8 apartment, and I see her body over this bed. And man, that sent me into a spiral. So I'm surrounded by all kinds of temptations of just terrible stuff. I've got drugs around me. I've got violence around me. And these are the people I'd been surrounding myself with. So that kind of led me down a bad path uh, going into when I was about 18. And I'd gotten into some trouble, um, arrested, went to jail, fortunately for me. Fortunately for me, what this led to was a recruiter had started talking to me and I had some interest. I was patriotic. You know, 9-11 had happened. I I thought I might want to serve. And uh, once I'd gotten in trouble, that really expedited that decision for me. So I, it was hard to get in the military with kind of what I had going on in life, but my recruiter worked really hard for me. And I remember his name to this day. He probably does not remember me, but that, that guy saved my life. And that, that kind of those, those things, when they happen to you in life, they make you incredibly resilient. So when I joined the service and I did combat tours, I was an infantry guy enlisted um, before I commissioned and multiple combat deployments. And I'm, I'm not compared, this isn't Normandy, World War II, you know, this is Operation Iraqi Freedom. And, you know, there's some fighting, but it's nothing compared to stuff like that. But still you see things that a lot of other people don't have to experience and, and it's okay. It's not, um, it's not a, woe is the military by any means, but you know, a lot of guys have a hard time dealing with that. And I felt that some of the stuff I had experienced to that date really got me ready for those things. And. Uh, then that, then you compound kind of some of that light combat experience. I had the opportunity to serve in and it just drove me. I had an insatiable drive to learn and succeed almost, uh, a tunnel vision type focus. And it was all kind of pushed to the Marine Corps at the time. And as I grew and I grew my family, I started to look at what the future might hold and I got into real estate investing, and I obsessively learned, and and I went. I started off on that journey, um, and I've been doing that for a couple of years. In in addition to the Marine Corps, and that led me to being on your podcast today.
1: Well, thank you. I'm glad I played a part in somewhere in that that amazing story. But I wanna. I'm fascinated because I, I, you know, I coach in in in, in them around a bunch of young kids. Um, you know, maybe it's because it's not in my space, but the military is not talked about a lot. You know, like what you don't know about me is, is that I tried to go. Um, I waited for like eight months. I had a, a broken eye orbitable and like they wouldn't, you know, it was a whole thing. Like I really wanted to go to the Coast Guard. Like I was like at a point where I couldn't, like I just needed that discipline. I needed that thing in my life. and And, and I tried. I really did. I tried the hardest I could to get in. Um, but, but just when, when you grow up in an environment like that and whether you're pouring into a mastermind or, or something else, there is a, there's an access to people or an idea of something that is far greater than yourself that I, that I think personally the military does really well is get you out of your own way and and, and allows you to focus towards something that's, that's that's bigger than your BS that you had over here, whether it was BS or not, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that that's the part where the military kind of saved my life is no victim mentality. It doesn't matter the circumstances. People are counting on you to do your, to play your part, to lead them, to be led, to, Uh, be reliable, to be on time, to execute what you're asked to execute, and it's for a greater cause. And a lot of guys will say, um, you know, you've got your core values and your service, but you also have the people you're serving with, right? People are so important. The organization doesn't exist without people, especially these patriotic people who are willing to give their life for their country. And it's, uh, and those values and that kind of that, that camaraderie and that brotherhood and the shared purpose things that businesses pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to get put into their organization. Yeah. Um, we have it in the service, but the way we have it, you know, people would be surprised about why we have, why we have such camaraderie and why we have such uh, type, um, brother and sistership.
1: Yeah. And I think ultimately, there's a, like, I always go, like, not everybody, because there's some there, but I'll, I'll go to business, and I'm happy to go to business with military guys, um, because they're focused, they're, you know, they're, they're, they they're see the bigger picture, their work on, and then they're driven as shit, you know, it's crazy, like, I love that, like, you know, that focus, you know, just, like, spear uh, focus, and so what got you interested into real estate, what cracked the the code on that, and kind of got you thinking about life outside of the Marines eventually.
2: Yeah. I think, I think one, one part of that is, um, as a father and a husband, one of your responsibilities is to provide for your family, regardless if two people are working or one person's working or what the roles are, your responsibility as a man, a father and a husband is to provide for your family. So I was just always thinking about that. And it was probably two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I had read the book every real estate person has had read, and it was rich dad, poor dad. And I was driving across the country, and it planted a seed. It opened my eyes. I had no idea, um, you know, entrepreneurs, business owners, employees. I'd never thought about the world in that way, and that kind of that kind of planted the seed. And then as I was as I was getting comfortable in the military and leading and succeeding. I just, I wanted to expand. And my wife started saying, I'm, I'm concerned, you know, you're a workaholic. What are you going to do when you retire from the service? Like you, you can't just, there's no 16, 17 hour day serving people. Like, what are you going to do? And, um, I decided real estate was it. And that's because it has. It's it's all about networking. It's all about serving. It's all about people. It has all those same components of it, and it gives you an opportunity to provide. Mm-hmm.
1: I love that. And so, what was the first uh, investment that you did?
2: Uh, so the first investment I did was actually um, a primary residence. This just, and none of this was that long ago. You're talking the last couple of years. So this was 2017. I was moving to the D.C. area, and I thought, "Well, this is a common thought from military folks. I'll buy a house and I'll rent it when I leave." What I didn't understand was cash flow, appreciation, depreciation, appreciation, capex, vacancy—you know, the kind of all the all the metrics and financial models behind it. So I buy a property, um, you know, cash flows a little bit. It's okay. Maybe it breaks even if I have something go wrong that year, and I was hooked. I was hooked. I started buying some single families. I bought some turnkey properties too up in Milwaukee, um, a single family house, a duplex. But the, I, And then every, every time I got something, I wanted to do something else. So then I invested in a syndication, right? Then I started doing private lending. And now I'm doing direct to seller marketing in Tampa, but not just for the real estate, because I want to build a team of people and I like the business model. I'm building a team of people, I'm marketing in Tampa and that's where I'm at right now.
1: And so what you know from a from an investor point of view, people that are new, you're traveling around, there's a lot of scary cities in there and you're in California. And so a new investor's like, "Hold, hold on, let's back it up. He's in Washington, Milwaukee and now he's going now now you might wind up in Tampa, but you know, talk about as a new investor, like how you get comfortable with with investing outside.
2: Outside. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's two ways to kind of look at that. There are pros and cons to each. If you can invest in your backyard, that's great. But the problem with investing in your backyard is, um, especially when you're new, there's a lot of uncertainty. So you're gonna be you're gonna be overly involved because you're trying to raise your certainty level. And if you think about it as an investment or as a business, you would find yourself, if you're local, sometimes working in the business and not on the business. I've never even been to Milwaukee. Never stepped foot in that city.
1: Okay, so so walk us through for anybody that's new, how you bought it, how you found it, and then how, how do you own a property that you've never even been to the city?
2: Okay. Yeah. So great way for new investors to invest. And I'm going to say great way. It gets a bad rap, but if you invest with the right people, you, you can succeed. Huge, huge success. So I went the turnkey route and I, I went the turnkey route because I met people that I felt comfortable with. I knew they had high character. So, Um, it was another military guy who owns a turnkey company in Milwaukee. And I was just watching him succeed and networking with him. And eventually I said, Hey, I need, I think I need one of those properties, man. I want, I want to start buying real estate and um, some of the mechanics of it. Right. So turnkey property, what that means is somebody else buys a, a property, fixes it up, Uh, sells it to you at a price that will cash flow. Now there are other metrics. Here's where turnkey gets a bad rap. When you look at any property, the way you look at expenses matters. Property management, right? You have to factor that in. You got to factor in vacancy because you could have a vacancy. I factor in 8%, which is about one month. You got to factor in maintenance and repairs. Even if it's fully rehabbed, you got to factor in maintenance repairs. And I also factor in capital expenditures, which are your big ticket items, your roofs, your air conditionings, because over time, those things have a shelf life too. And most turnkey companies do not, um, you know, if a turnkey company fully rehabs something, they might leave capital expenditures off and say, well, Hey, we rehabbed the whole property. So it's good. I still want to put a little bit of money away for the day that I do have to replace those things that have a shelf life. So two two recommendations for turnkey, invest with the right people, look at the expenses.
1: So what's interesting to me, right, because you're not the first military guy I've met um, who has businesses or investing. And I think to myself when I meet y'all, so you're doing all this with a military job and your husband and you're a father, what the fuck or how great are you going to destroy shit when you're have the full capacity to only focus on real estate? That's what I think is hilarious. It's like letting off the shackles.
2: Yeah, man. Yeah. That's uh, that's something, um, I, I not I, what I try to do is I try to be great where I'm at. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I'm in the Marine Corps or when I'm at work, I am, tr- I'm still trying to be the best guy. Um, So that there is no, like, let me try to do this then. And let me try to do, like, I allocate my time when it's Marine Corps time, it's Marine Corps time. So I'm putting eight to to some days, 14 hours into the Marine Corps, um, and sometimes longer weeks at a time where I'm away or doing something. So I think that that's why I'm building the business so I can walk into it and grow that thing through the roof. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I love that. And my business partner is in the military and my goal for him is to set up everything. So when he steps out, I can disappear. (laughs) No, but
0: uh,
1: (laughs) don't tell him, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, but there is something to be said, right. And this is where I think it's interesting because I, I know you enough to, to know that, that ultimately what you're doing, yes, you enjoy building businesses and you like investing, but I know that from what you came from in your childhood, this is more about your kids and their kids and in teaching them a way to generate what, whatever they want to do. I'm sure is something that is near and dear to your heart that is really the driving force behind what you're doing.
2: Yeah. And I think, um, so growing, you know, you're, I think you're spot on growing up in um, Detroit, right? Detroit got crushed in the uh, 2008 crash because they had no economic diversity. People in Detroit don't talk about money; it, it's taboo, and I think that's probably common across the, um, across the country and a lot of places. But I can speak to Detroit people. In people in Detroit, buy nice cars regardless of how much money they have or how much debt they have, and um, it's all about show. It's all about show. Nobody talks about financial literacy. And I do some stuff with my kid. My kid's eight years old. This year, he saved over $300 from doing work. He has a, um, earlier, probably four or five months ago, he wanted to get a game, a downloadable game, um, video game. And uh, it was $60. He didn't have $60. I said, well, I mean, I'll give you $60, but you got to pay me interest on it. And uh, we wrote up a contract, him and I. (laughs) And he signed that contract. So every month, he's got some things he does to get paid for. Every month, he has to allocate his money between three jars. Uh, Jar number one, he's paying back his debt. Jar number two is his spend jar. That's his kind of money that he can do stuff with. And jar number three is his save jar. But he has to fill all those jars. He has to, to every time he gets money, he has to make a decision on where it goes. And that's what I'm really trying to teach him. Um, and then at every opportunity, I try to teach him about real estate when he'll listen to me.
1: Dude, you'll love this. So I just went home Christmas, saw my best friends and I told them, I told their kids, I said, I brought the only gift that damn matters. I said, throw all that other crap away. I bought them rich kid, poor kid. Robert Kiyosaki has a kid's book. And I said, throw all your damn gifts away. This thing right here is the only thing you need. I bought it for all the kids. Yeah, that is amazing. That'll change their lives exactly. And so, I haven't told you this, but one of the dreams for us and the company, uh, we're ra- we've got a fund we're about to start raising for some new construction, is we're going to create a separate fund to invest in middle school and high school kids' businesses. Wow! And so I think it's like that it, to me, like makes me so excited. Like I don't care about anything else. I think that's so cool.
2: Yeah, that's brilliant. I've got. Um... I've been working on my business plan. I've got probably a 90% solution on it. And, and part of that vision is, um, given back to really two communities and that's, uh, underdeveloped cities or urban areas, kids, mm-hmm. right? So we want to give back to kids, whether that's time, education, money, and obviously the veterans community, which is near and dear to my heart. But yeah, like if I, I'm, I want... Knowledge is power. Information Mm. is power.
1: Well, what's interesting, right, is as I as I dive into the 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 addiction community and I just dive into just traveling around, speaking to people and you talk to Hispanic communities or or African-American communities. Knowledge is power. But here's the big kicker in that whole scenario is that is that you have to be aware of the options and the knowledge for to even access the knowledge and that's where I find it almost laughable that my friend tells me that the inner city in Philadelphia like they don't know what like you know life insurance policy like credit and like loans and I'm like okay so they need somebody to like come in and like straight up teach like even the option of like how you save money. Like I taught a course on how you save money. Like, and for me, it sounds so like, what the fuck you save money, but like, that's what blows me away. But here's on the back of that, this is where I can't, I'm only me. They, as a, you know, we as a community, meaning me, you, my brother, everybody has to be available for the learning. Like, we have to want the learning. Like, I can give you all the options in the world. And so that's where I'm trying to understand, like, what's the best way to get it to them? What's the best way to to teach it? And then what's the best way to make sure that it's at scale? You know, and so those are the things that I think that I know the real estate community, if they really, like, put their heads together and and there was a group of guys that were syndicators or whatever they were, you know, that could be a, a passion project and impact, which I classify as you know, the ripple impact, which I think is the actual impact, like me and you are having this conversation, but somebody listening to it might change something about their life. And then they might change somebody. And then that's, that's where I see the the benefits.
2: No. And I I think what's crazy is um, kids are looking for an apparent, an adult, a figure of that like to mimic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these kids in places like you're talking about, are mimicking the wrong stuff. It takes people who figured a way out of that, like you, like me, like many others, to show them the path, show them what is truly possible. If you would have told me when I was in my teenage years that I could make $100,000, I, I think I I would have told you I made it. I would have said, yeah, like that, that's the pinnacle of life. That's the pinnacle of possibility for me. And now I can't even like a hundred thousand dollars. I want to, I, I want a huge impact. I want to see seven mm-hmm. and eight figures to make impact.
1: No, it, and ultimately the question that you have to ask yourself is, and see, this is where I, this is a separate conversation for another podcast, but I get really frustrated when people, not bastardize the making of money but talk down on it like how dare you like your your you know your values my question to you is how the hell am i gonna feed all these people (laughs) how the hell am i gonna buy all these rich dad poor dad books if i don't have money myself like you got to put on the air mask before you go do what you got to go do and and so you know i think that's where people got it twisted it drives me crazy
2: yeah absolutely right and i mean um Like for me personally, like so many people have opened even up my eyes to the next level of opportunity. And then I'm peering into the level after that. It is my responsibility to do the same for others. Mm -hmm. Who am I to get all this help, information, networking, great people just to tell me that things are possible and show me the way and then me not come back and help others either at my level, below my level, above my level, that's my responsibility in the real estate community.
1: 100% and something I wanna talk about cause it's probably the only thing I really care about. And I know some elements of it is the, the military has given you on training and stuff like that. But I find you to be a very intentional human being. And I find that your mindset and perspective is very in tune with where you're headed. Like, how do you, what got you started on that? What cultivated this amazing outlook?
2: Yeah, I would say it was probably, so I've always had a a hunter mindset. I think, you know, growing up in an area where I grew up in, you know, we were meeting in backyards, fighting every day. Uh, So I always had this very forward-leaning, aggressive hunter mindset. But what I learned over the past three years had um, really just opened open me up to show me what people ahead of me are doing. When you look at a guy, for example, like David Osborne, who has written a couple books, you know, hundred million dollar net worth. And he's talking about mindset and you're like, mindset, just go execute. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. Mindset sounds like this, you know, I'm doing yoga, drinking tea, but It's, it's exactly what you said. It's intentional. It's thinking about thinking it's called metacognition Mm -hmm. and it's, where's my mind at now? What is really possible? What are my limiting beliefs? And that all sounds so abstract, but the reality is, and being in the military, I mean, go read a medal of honor citation And then tell me you thought that was possible. Somebody could do that or achieve that or survive that or sacrifice that before you read it. Mm -hmm. So you see it in action and your mind, the only thing limiting you is your mind. So why not focus on your mindset?
1: No, it's my favorite book is what you say when you talk to yourself. And it said that in the the book I read today, 90% of what we do is in our subconscious and your subconscious doesn't know what reality is. So why wouldn't you just tell it that everything's great? (laughs) Like, why wouldn't you tell yourself that today's going to be a great day? Why wouldn't you say that, you know, I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm going to give back and, you know, time just hasn't caught up yet. Why wouldn't you say I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to own 70 rentals this year or next year? Like, it doesn't mean that you're going to hit those goals, but you're you're creating this this wish, you know, this vibration of positivity and people don't do these things. And then they wound up here and then they wonder why they're there. And it's like because you didn't say it, you didn't you didn't speak it into your heart, into your mind.
2: And and here's the thing, too. I tell you, Austin, is, you know, New Year's hits. What do we do? We make a resolution. We're positive. We've got we've got good thoughts in our mind. I'm gonna lose weight. I'm gonna exercise. I'm gonna you name it. Why doesn't it last? Because we don't tell ourselves every day we're gonna do it when life gets messy, and we know that life is always messy. Anybody you in what we see is Instagram and how how people's lives look great and what they don't see is all these people have the same kind of problems. Like people mm-hmm. are complex humans, no two people the same. Like it's not it's not easy, but it is possible. And it takes you telling yourself that every day. If I don't wake up and say the two most powerful words and then what I want it to become, it doesn't happen. The two most powerful words are I am, right? And I don't mean to get all... Uh, philosophical but that I mean there's a lot of truth to that look around look at look at the people you surround yourself with look at the people you want to be like and tell me which one of them saying I am
1: no i get philosophical all day because that's the only thing I want to talk about we have a choice and one of my favorite things in the entire book is he says he walks up in the morning and he has a conversation with himself and he's like what's up bro we're gonna tear it up we're gonna have a great day today man what a great day' sunshine let's go get it and so my question to you is like, do you wake up and do you say that stuff to yourself? Are you saying the opposite? You know, are you are you, are you checking Instagram and seeing, you know, with, you know, somebody got the new shoes or like, you know, like, because I know the groups that we hang around, like our dudes are talking about like, no, I just bought like a duplex and I just bought. And so like what you are around, you know, generates what you think and what you do. And so, you know, we have to make sure that these conversations that we're a part of are positive ones. In a level of investing or whatever they are whatever your lifestyle is but 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 know that but i here's what i don't do and i know you don't do this around marines i don't talk about negative shit at all can't do it won't do it i don't even need to be here i'll get the fuck up at the table and i'll walk out like I, i i'm not gonna do it because i did that to myself for too long and i'm not gonna do it anymore and i can hear it like i can hear it like from across the room and i'm like nope got to go. And and it's not that I can't handle that talk. I just don't want to be around it.
2: Yeah. It's, it's think, think of, think of another way just to think about it is the first part of what we talked about is you're focusing on you. What's Mm -hmm. in my mind? What, what is my subconscious? What's, what's being received, right? What am I seeing on social media? What am I seeing on TV? What am I, you know, it's all you, what am I telling myself? the next echelon of that is look at your circle of people that you see every day. Mm -hmm. Are they negative? Are they positive? Are they draining your positive and your energy battery or are they keeping you energized? And if they're not, you probably have some hard decisions to make because you probably are going to have a much harder time getting to where you want to go.
1: And so if you, and I know you're like, you're like, I, <laughs> I saw your plan and wow, it's detailed. Uh, and I love that. But that works for you. And so you want to dive into that to, to that detail. And so when you're laying out the groundwork, real estate investing wise, where do you see yourself? Is it going to continue to be in the small multifamily space or, or, or single families? Like, what asset? class are you looking at moving into your retirement and and so on?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, I think in five years I'll have, um, so right now I'm focused on direct to seller marketing, right? My, my current strategy for my wealth foundation, not my income foundation, but my wealth foundation, you know, I'm, I'm diversified, but from a real estate perspective, owning real assets. Okay. So owning real, owning small residential single family, not small, but residential single family and multifamily, spreading my money out into syndications, it's limited partner, and then um, move in properties to other investors, kind of the wholesaling model, also picking the properties that fit my profile to add to my portfolio. Um, and that's all I want to focus on right now. and. Five years, maybe I'm taking down syndications as a GP, a general partner. Um, maybe I'm turning stuff in Airbnb throughout. Um, but what I did last year was, I felt like I was not focused enough. So last year I had two words. They were intentionality and consistency. This year, it's focus. Mm-hmm. Focus on one thing and make it great. There's two. This is this was an epiphany I've had over the probably the last 60 days. There's two ways to be a superpower in real estate. You need two skill sets. Skill set number one is be able to find the deals. That's why I'm doing marketing. Mm-hmm. Skill set number two is be able to raise money. Mm-hmm. If you can do those things, the rest of real estate is really easy whether it's apartments or single family, you can find the deals and you can raise money. Those are super, super powerful.
1: Because think of it this way. You could have an asset, right? Even if it's under market value. And let's say to get the true value out of the asset is to expand what the property already has on it, right? If you can't raise money, then you can't get the full value out of the deal. Then you can't see the deal... To the truth that it should be and so i always tell everybody look you need a buyer you know it's only one phone call for me i i, I got dudes that to do everything right but i don't want to find the deal i'm too busy i don't want it's not my thing but i can partner up with any wholesaler like i shouldn't talk we just had a deal come across my table off the podcast that was previously on she's like well my property my parents are selling this big piece of land in like the hottest part of Texas. And I was like, oh, that's one phone call. And I just called my dude who runs a billion-dollar equity fund. And I'm like, hey, do you want this? If he doesn't take it, I'll go down to the next person and we'll find somebody. But, you know, that's that's a $1.8 million deal. To a lot of people, that seems like a big hill. Not when you walk in the circles that we walk in. That's nothing to them. They they just slap that to the side.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's always a way. There's always a way. Last year, I did a joint venture with four other guys, more experience in the multifamily space, on a 42 unit, two point one million dollar apartment building in uh, near St. Louis, and it it fell out in due diligence. Um, some some things came up. We were unable to renegotiate or um, get some, some concessions we were looking for from the seller based on some city issues. But like, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not a huge apartment syndicator, but I had, I had some skills, I had some money and I aggressively network. And, Mm -hmm. um, that sounds like a lot, but I had not done a JV on a large multifamily before.
1: And, and what people don't get is you said the deal didn't close, right? it did not close. Nope. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter that it didn't close or not, because the experience of going through step-by-step the process in the act, not reading about it. Now you could easily take down an 80 or 60 unit. I'm comfortably, I feel good about that because of the confidence from that deal. And so what I want to highlight, because I was thinking about it right before we got on. So I, humor me for a second, because I, I don't think people understand this concept. And I want to, I want to explain it very quickly. The guy that I worked for 12 years ago, got me a job at a restaurant where I made a shitload of money, like a ton of money more than I was making that way. I was able to save up the money to buy my first property. That same guy 15 years later says, Hey, do you want to come on and speak to my 250 agents for what for free? Of course I'd be happy to come on. Give them a mindset coaching session for an hour. Somebody texts me. Hey, I saw you on the thing. You're awesome. I'm a high-powered agent, Northeast Texas. Great. Want to come on my podcast? Let's do it. She comes on the podcast. Hey, my parents are selling this deal. Would you like to make money off of it? Here's the deal. And I thought to myself, like, <laughs> that, the stepping stones to that deal were 15 years in the making.
2: <laughs> yeah and and you you may not always know and have clarity on exactly how to do it but you know who can do the deal. Mm-hmm. So you're able to put that together.
1: And ultimately the only thing I can control in that in that whole scenario, I can't meet all those people is how I am and the the work that I put in. And I think that's what everybody needs to understand that you only can control what you can control and what you can control Is you. Yeah, man. Powerful. It's it's powerful. And so is there, I see you in the e-commerce business. Is that kind of like, maybe I'm over here or or like, are you seeing, are you seeing returns from it?
2: Uh, No. So that, that was more of like an experiment, right? So, and I'll I'll just talk to it. So I went, I'm seeing all this e-commerce buzz. And I'm looking at the different markets and kind of looking at some volatility. And I'm 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 just trying to I've got some extra money. It's like, let me experiment with this and see if it works right. And there's a ton of models in e-commerce. Um, you know, I, I went with the drop shipping model. Expensive to get in. So most of these stores, if you get a, a done-for-use store to get in, will range from twenty to forty thousand dollars, and they'll mm-hmm. run the whole thing. They'll do the product research do all your shipping and customer service, they'll process everything. All you're doing is taking um, some business credit or some capital. So like a lot of young people get in this are just using credit cards, hooking them up to some accounts, the VAs go in and they, they sell products for you, right? Um, but yeah, so in December, I have one store that's about to hit the five month mark. And in December it blew up. It hadn't been doing much before that. It had about one hundred nine thousand dollars in sales. That does not include returns and other things. And my profit was around the total. The the gross profit for the store was around twelve thousand um, dollars. And then there's an equity split with the team who runs it. So in that case, it was 70-30. I have two stores because I'm crazy. Um, and the other store probably made. Six or seven, seven thousand dollars. So it's up about twelve grand. However, um, the platform they're selling on is Amazon. Amazon is brutally strict on sellers. Mm-hmm. Um, so Amazon is like, you have any negative feedback, and Amazon shutting you down. So in my case, Amazon decided Amazon at any time cannot do your payout, your uh, payment, and hold it. So I actually had. I don't recommend this for everybody, but I actually had about a hundred K between two stores tied up in um, you know, capital or leverage. So if you, you know, that could get scary if you couldn't pay your bills or you couldn't afford that. So just be wary of that. I think that's not a com. I don't think that's common. I think my stores blew up really quick. Um, and that happened and the people that I invested with, that was pretty uncommon based on their profile or their portfolio, but yeah, there's definitely returns. I mean, I bought into the store for 25k and we made 12k gross. Probably whatever 70% of that is net. Um so, it makes money.
0: Yeah,
1: and I I I find that you're you're a person that likes to get in there, check it out. If it works, you'll keep it. If it doesn't, you know, and I I love that about you is that you're not you're not scared of risk. That's for damn sure.
2: Yeah, my, uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm just, you know, I'm not on forex trading or, or you know, <laughs> slinging the Bitcoin or anything crazy like that. I, I just, I had a, I felt really good about the e-commerce space. I still feel really good about the e-commerce space. Um, people are, I think, gonna be reluctant to can to get out there and and touch stuff and go to stores. People like convenience. I mean, you look at the evolution of United States and people and consumer behavior, I mean, billions and trillions of dollars have been made off of convenience.
1: 100%. And I think what they don't talk about is that the, the COVID has single-handedly changed the way that people buy goods and services moving forward. Yeah. I mean, my wife said to me,
2: I'm in a place where we can't get kind of the door delivery stuff We're we're in a pretty desolate area right now, but mm-hmm she said i can't wait till we move and i can just order this grocery to the house and i'm like that's why i'm invested in e-commerce
1: yes yeah. see you know what perfect example there's a business my buddy's doing he said tell her the idea If your grandma and mom likes it then i know i'm in the right space that's right <laughs> so dude if people want to find more out about you how would they go about doing that
2: yeah. So best place to connect with me is on Instagram, uh, will to win investments with underscores between each of those, or just go to my website at will to win and, and send me a note or or schedule a call with me. I talk to every single person that reaches out to me.
1: He does folks. He does guys. If you like this episode, make sure you send it out to your friends guys. And we appreciate you listening.